after having heard the message that Pastor Julia preached last Sunday, I'm curious if you can remind me who Eunice and Lois are. Do you remember hearing about Eunice and Lois? I, I've been wondering this week, how, how did Eunice and Lois come to faith? What, what is their story? We don't know a lot about Eunice and Lois. Acts 16.1 tells us that Timothy had a Jewish mother and a Greek father. It was a mixed marriage. It's hard to tell from the grammar of the Greek text whether Lois, Grandma Lois, was the first Christian in the family, followed by her daughter Eunice, and then followed by her son Timothy. It could be that Lois and Eunice came to Christ at the same time. We just don't know. But here is what the scripture says in 2 Timothy, the first chapter and the second verse. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. And as I read this passage, which is obviously a letter from Paul to Timothy in very much the way a father might write to his son, I wonder why Paul cites the example of Lois and Eunice. And I suspect that the issue is as simple as this. When Paul says that he is almost persuaded that the sincere faith of Lois and Eunice resides in Timothy, he was not always so persuaded. And perhaps he's still not completely persuaded that this is so. He's writing to encourage that. I think this is a little like saying to your friend, you're not afraid, right? Well, you know the person's a bit afraid, but your comment is designed to tell them there's no reason to be afraid. But your question isn't really whether they're afraid or not. You know they are, right? You're not afraid, are you? No, I'm not afraid. When Paul tells Timothy to fan into flame the gifts of God in his life, he's charging him to remember his mission in the kingdom, which means there must be some evidence that Timothy needs to fan into flame the gift of God in his life. There must be some evidence in Paul's mind that Timothy's flame is petering out a bit. And when Paul tells Timothy that the Spirit of God, well, the gift the Spirit of God gave us is not a spirit of timidity, it's not to be timid, it's probably because he believes at the moment Timothy's timid. And he needs to do something to help boost this young guy up and help him. And so what does Paul do? He reminds him of his grandmother. He reminds him of his mother. Their faith was beyond questioning. Their practice of the faith was spirit-inspired. They were not timid. They were not retiring, but full of passion and confidence. What Timothy is not, they were. And Timothy needed a picture of his mother and grandmother, grandmother to help him understand how to move forward. That is a powerful picture. Eunice and Lois aren't the only people who provide 
powerful pictures for us. And here we are on All Saints Day. And today, I want to give you the opportunity to share briefly a picture, a part of the story of the person who provided a godly example for you. Who was the person who impacted your life for Christ? What did they do? How did they do it? What was powerful about the way they lived? How did the way they lived change the person you are today? Here's what I'd like to invite you to do in just a few moments. There's a microphone on either side of the sanctuary. And I would invite you to come forward, stand behind the microphone, and give us a few words about the name of a person and what they did to change your life. Now, if you're walking to the microphone and someone else beats you to it, there's room on the pew right there, and there's room in the pew right there. And I would encourage you not to wait till the person who's speaking is done, but sneak around the back of the aisle and come and sit in this first pew in line so that we can quickly go back and forth and hear the stories that you have prepared to share with us today. It may be that some of you are a little too shy to speak in public. Well, there's some cards in the, in the pews and you could quickly write a sentence or two on that and hand it to the person sitting next to you who's not shy and say, would you please read that for me? That's perfectly acceptable today. And there is a second part to this observance today. At the end of the service, we're gonna invite folks to head back to the lobby and there's a tree on the wall. And we'd love you to write the name of the person who was a powerful spiritual example to you, and we'll put them on the tree. Well, they'll be there all through November. If you thought to bring a picture of that person, put that on the little leaf and put it on the tree, and we will remind one another of the folks who have breathed the life of Christ into us and who have encouraged us on our spiritual journey. We're going to pray together in a moment, and then after we've prayed, I would invite you to begin coming forward and we'll just acknowledge back and forth uh, so that we can have the opportunity to hear the stories of the saints who have changed our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you have blessed us with the lives of the saints, that you have shown us by their godly example what we might be like and that you have encouraged us through their words and their choices. And we pray now that in the retelling of their stories, we may be encouraged to follow you more closely and that their example might be a witness to us. For we pray this in the name of Christ. Hear Hebrews 12 and 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So, one little housekeeping matter before we start speaking and that is, we don't want this exercise to prove to be an embarrassment to anyone, right? And so we all, we, many of us have as our spiritual mentors, our parents. And if our parents are in the audience today and we speak of them, it may be a little embarrassing to them. We don't want to embarrass them. If your parents are not here, feel free to talk about them all you want. It also can be embarrassing to the pastoral staff to be named. And we know that we're certainly not the only spiritual influences in anyone's life. And so we would encourage you to choose other saints to speak about today, uh, just so we don't make folks uncomfortable. Because I think you understand that when we work consistently for Christ, most of the time we hardly know we're doing it. 
right? It's the spirit who guides this sort of thing. And so we don't want any recognition for ourselves. We want Jesus to get all the glory in this exercise. And so to prevent us from embarrassment, I'm gonna encourage you to leverage your comments in that direction, okay? Now's the time. If you have a story to come, stand up, come to a microphone, and um, if you're the second person there, Front row until that person has finished. Go ahead, you're first. Well, I want to talk about my mother. No, it's, it's good. When I was in high school, I did some bad stuff. I was going to commit suicide, but my mother saved my life. She is my saint because she saved my life. I would have been dead, I would be dead by now if my mother did not save my life. Thank you. I have been blessed with many saints in my life over the years, and many of them are right here in this sanctuary. But today, I want to tell you about two from my past. The first is my mother, Eleanor Joyce Gardner Cove. I so wish you could have known her. My mom was purposeful and determined in everything she did, but especially in her walk with Jesus Christ. Her favorite hymn was Trust and Obey, and she truly lived that out. Her example of joy and delight in following Jesus Christ was contagious, and I wanted what my mom had. I only had her in my life for 32 short years, but I am so grateful for the beautiful and life-changing legacy she has left me. The other saint I want to talk about is my dear Anita Ray Tyner Robinson. She came into my life when I was about 12 years old, and she and her husband moved to our town and started attending the local Nazarene church. She too loved Jesus more than she loved anything else, and she loved to tell anyone who would listen what Jesus was doing in her life, and I listened. Her stories and testimonies of God's work in her life became foundational. She was there for me in my rocky teenage years and was always someone I could talk to when things were difficult at home. She's still alive, so she has been and still is a constant in my life. I can text or call when I need prayer, comfort, or godly wisdom. Two minutes can't do justice to these women, but I have eternity <laughs> with them to praise Jesus and thank them for all that they have left to me. Amen. Hi, I have um, Connie Williams was integral part of my life, bringing me to Christ. And this was when I was 28 years old. I drove a tractor trailer, if you didn't know. And um, I was loud and brass, and I was out there. And this lady was small and petite and talked like that. And she was the total opposite of me. Why she took me on, it was the Holy Spirit. Um, but she asked my daughter to go to Awana, which is a kid's program. And through that whole integration, um, I was saved. My daughter was saved. And it, it's a big, long story. I'll tell it to you sometime if you want to hear. But Connie Williams, thank you. Well, um, I owe my own walk with the Lord to my parents but my parents were both Catholic and a woman who was in a free Methodist church invited my dad to go to the free Methodist church and that's where my dad gave his heart to the Lord and my mom and from then on they lived for Jesus and taught my brother and sister and myself to follow him and I say to people, even if there was no God and no heaven, living the Christian life is still the best life you could ever hope to live. Amen. And thank God we know there is a God <laughs> and a heaven. And Jesus is coming soon, so be ready. <laughs> Amen. Hi. Um, I owe my Christian life to... A friend here, Connie Migliori, or Connie Charette. I knew her as a child, and uh, 
she brought me to this Christian life and I was saved and I want to thank her so much for bringing me here and I love you Connie. Amen. The person that I think of because I'm so old I came to the church when I was a baby way up where the pantry is now. I can think of a hundred and people that helped me through my life. But the one person that I have picked is Louise Greenier. I remember Louise in the old church up at the pantry and how she prayed for her husband and her family. But it took her, I think someone told me it was 33 years after they went to a trip to Africa and her praying so earnestly for her husband and her family, that her husband was one to the Lord. And what a change in that person was. And I think when I get disappointed in prayer, is all I have to think of is Louise and keep fighting till that person comes to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Tell me when. Go ahead, Barbara. Oh, okay. Um, my name is Barbara, and I happen to be married. Um, to the son of the woman that I consider saved my life, Pat Harrison. Pat introduced me to Bible study. She was the exemplified version of whatever a saint is. She walked the talk. She <laughs> behaved in such a way that was gentle and kind and had Bible verses on the tip of her tongue whenever I grew angry or upset or lost my own trust. And because of her, I decided. Amen. When you've been in the church as long as I have, there are many, many saints written on your chapters of your book of life. Um, and it was kind of ironic because I was just holding Fran's hand up here. And um, I remember I came to the church, I think, when we were about four. And the Blaney family started then and have always been with us the whole way. We did many, many things together. They mentored us. They prayed with us. We went on field trips. We went on picnics. We went to ENC. We all crowded in that station wagon. And they never let us down. There wasn't one moment that we knew that they weren't really truly family. I can remember um, two really things that stick out in my mind. And that was, um, first of all, I think I was four or five because Fran made me a doll cake. The best birthday cake I ever, ever had was a doll cake. But as the years went by, um, we had a tragedy in our family where there was a very severe car accident. And my mom and I were in the car with my grandparents, and they, were, they, they died. And I'll never forget that moment when Dave came with my shoes that had come off in the accident. He had gone to the scene, picked the shoes up, went home, polished them, and brought gifts for my brother and I at my other grandparents. Fran used her culinary skills, and she was there for months with food and prayer and blessings and cards and encouragement. And the other thing that I really sticks out in my mind about Fran is that I was very blessed to go to Africa with Dave and Fran maybe 12, 13 years ago. And when we landed in Accra, Fran got right off that plane, and there's a beautiful hotel there and a beautiful beach. The ocean is right there. She had her Christian T-shirt on. She got on that beach, and she started witnessing and praying for people immediately. And to this day, I have stood in awe of her, her kindness, her gentleness, but her passion and spirit for the Lord. She's not afraid to witness to anyone. She's proud of who she is, and I love her family dearly. Amen. Hi. Hi. Uh, I, I went historical, sorry. <clears throat> uh, Picked uh, William Howard Hoople, uh, 1868 to 1922. He was a, a businessman, a philanthropist, 
organized uh, missions down in New York City area, Brooklyn, New York particularly. And uh, he's, he became the co-founder of the Association of, Hope, of Pentecostal Churches of America. Now, Pentecostal did not mean then what it does now. This was back in the 90s, 1890. And uh, from just a couple years later, he and his associates were, spread, were fanning out over southern New England and New York State, uh, f establishing holiness churches. And one of them was in Manchester. This is 1897. He organized, he was the organizer of this church. He called it the John Wesley Pentecostal Society in South Manchester, which is the, the shelter up the street. It still stands today. He was instrumental in the union of the Association of Pentecostal Churches of America with the Church of the Nazarene in Chicago in 1907. And then in 1908, with the Holiness Churches of Christ in the South to become the Church of the Nazarene as we know it today. Good morning. I'll try to make it quick, which will be a shocker for about 90% of their congregation. <laughs> However, mine's two people, twofold. Uh, one would be, I didn't become a Christian until I was a teenager. So for Connor Piersma, who kept inviting me to church, and I would say no, and he finally found a way to get me to go to a church event. So first for him, for being uh, aggressive and just keep inviting, even though I kept shutting down. Not in a nice way. I was not a Christian, and it was a way that wasn't positive. But then also somebody who my son Tucker is named after was a fireman when I was 16 named John Tucker. I can give you a long story version short later. Met him at this camp that my friend Connor finally got me to go to. And then he's the one who took me into his home when I was 16 and taught me what it was like to be a Christian that I wasn't ready to hear at the time, but gave me the stepping stones and the foundation. And hence why Tucker's name is Tucker Jonathan. His name is Jonathan Tucker. Thank you. I have two as well, one from my uh, growing up years and then one from my adult years here in Manchester. Uh, when I was a child, I went to church by myself, no family with me other than a younger sister, no parents, nothing. Um, but I grew up in the church and one of the ladies there, her name is Trudy McNeil, um, took me in and uh, was my Bible quiz coach for six years. And she was very instrumental in my um, growing as a believer, my love for God's Word and providing a really strong foundation of Bible study and scripture memorization and just the importance and value of God's Word. And because of her, when I came here to Manchester, I uh, led teen quizzing for a number of years here. And I hope I was able to share some of her passion and her love. The other person um, who has had an immense impact on my life as an adult is Carol Beck. And um, her example of faith, trust, was implicit in her whole many year struggle with cancer. And uh, never giving up uh, physically, never giving up emotionally, never giving up spiritually, being positive, even when things didn't seem positive, was just such um, a reminder to me of what it is to live a life knowing that God is with you through good, through bad, and he never leaves you and he never forsakes you. Boy, that is true. That's very true. In my life, in... Uh the struggling point in my life has, since my mom passed away, I've been struggling on my own. In 1997, in the tough times of my life, the struggles of my life that 
rock bottom is not, was not the word. It was worse than that. I had a neighbor uh, that lived upstairs from where I used to live in Bradford, Connecticut at the time that was a Christian. And at that time when he came to my, about to talk to me, which is the first time, which I knew he was a Christian, I've been avoiding him since for a while. Finally, at the time of rule, rock bottom, like I said, he came to me and he told me, Jesus loves you. And just the way he spoke to me with this kindness and this peace and this love and this glow that he had in his face, it was almost like God was talking to me. And through the troubles that I was going through, it was all immediately forgotten. And I will never forget that day. He invited me to his church, not knowing where it was at, not knowing the address, just went for a drive. And I landed in that church and I gave my life to Christ. Blessings are overwhelming, but they're acceptable. And I'm willing to share with anyone, anyone as I have been, it's my ministry, out in the community, anywhere in the state, anywhere. The love of Christ is within me and I'm willing to share with anyone. Time for a few more. I had to write something down, otherwise I'd probably forget. But as a teenager, I had a great uh, role model in a man named Ed Waddell. This is back in Pittsburgh now, that's where I grew up. And uh, he was, uh, a great Sunday school teacher and, and supported me. My dad passed away when I was 13 uh, with a heart attack and uh, uh, he helped a lot. But uh, he was a very vocal Christian. He would share scripture all the time and it's just something that he was a great person. But his wife was Peg. They both, they started a uh, Bible study group that met weekly. And we, uh, and after I married my wife in my junior year of college, uh, we started to attend their Bible study group. And we would memorize scripture and repeat them. And that was great. I still remember a lot of the scriptures. And, and as a result of being in the Bible study group, we both became Christians. When I finished with the degree, bachelor's degree, and got a job in Reading, Pennsylvania, we, had, we moved from the Pittsburgh area to, to uh, Reading. Um, we, st we started attending the local Nazarene church in Reading, it was a big church. Uh, we picked the Nazarene church based on the recommend recommendation of our Bible study teacher. Uh, they, they knew that uh, one of the pastors that we had in our local church, which was not Nazarene, it was a primitive Methodist church. Uh, uh, he had graduated from Eastern Nazarene College. We didn't know anything about Eastern Nazarene College, but uh, that we took his recommendation and started attending at the local Nazarene church. And we were there for most of our, of our spiritual lives. Uh, one final comment. <laughs> we named our son Daniel Edward after Ed Waddell, our Bible teacher. Good morning. I'm here to, to talk about my mother. Uh, my mother died when uh, she was very young. She was only 62 and I was 29. And by then I was pregnant with Benjamin, who's here. So he never got a chance to see his, the, the grandmother and the good grandmother that she was. Um, I mean, that's my mother. So um, my mother was um, Catholic, so I was raised Catholic uh, as a child. But nevertheless, she showed me the love of Christ, like I never experienced before. She was a, a woman who, who loved everybody. She loved the whole neighborhood, not only her children. Uh, she would care for everybody. She would um, 
get concerned if something happened to anybody in the neighborhood. Uh, she would be the person that, in my house, you know, we were raised poor, not a lot of food, and, but nevertheless, her doors were open to everybody. So around dinner time, people keep coming, and we as children, we, were, we have little food, so we were like getting mad because she would, <laughs> she would give food to everybody that comes around the, the, the dinner time, and, and that's how she was. And sometimes, you know, as, as kids, we talk about people and neighbors, oh, this one and that one. And she would always teach us, don't talk about people, that's not, that's not good. And so she gave us the great example of love, and she always uh, make us go to church. So we were raised Catholic, but nevertheless, she always taught us about, about God. And she forced us to, go, to get up in the morning and go to church. And she's still in us. She put in us that fear of God, that love of God, um, as she knew as being Catholic. But nevertheless, what a great love she had for God and the fear of God that she taught us. So I'm going to leave you with these things. Never is, uh, um, start as early as possible with, with your kids because that's how my mother started. And it's up to this day, it's because of her. God used her because of her that I'm here and that my son is here and uh, that most of us in our family, my, my siblings, we have the fear and the love of God because she always taught us that. Good morning, church. Um, Earl Mack uh, was a man of God. Uh, it's safe to say I, I definitely wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for my youth pastor. Um, I met Earl in my teens, and um, obviously it's, you know, that's a really formative, sort of pivotal point in a young man's life. And uh, Earl just had this way about him. Um, everybody loved Earl. His, his love of God would just bleed onto you, and you just, you couldn't hang out with him for 10 minutes without him talking about God and getting fired up. I still remember his, his Bible studies would be packed. He'd have people practically to the door. And um, he was just such a sweet guy. And uh, when I uh, renounced my faith, uh, in my 20s, um, it was with Earl's passing that I wound up coming back. Um, and so uh, Earl was always a football guy. Football was never my game. Um, but if I could put it in terms, he would appreciate. Uh, Earl definitely helped me run more yards uh, than anyone else. And so uh, I'll be happy to give him a nice warm embrace when I finally score that touchdown. Good morning. I'm definitely not a public speaker. But I just wanted to say, um, I was born and brought up in northern part of Germany, where most of the people were Lutheran. I felt empty most of my life, confirmation, wedding, everything in the church, but I was never really happy. So later on in life, I met my second husband, who was Baptist or Pentecostal and coming from Norway. And he and I, we were driving to Hartford in the afternoon, and somehow we passed the Baptist church. He said, how would you like if we drop in and attend the service? Well, I said, why not? Well, I was so moved. I went to the altar, and I accept the Lord as my personal savior. We had a wonderful life. Together, later on, we ended up here in this beautiful church, which is my home now. And, and I went to the altar. And I accepted the Lord again. And then I knew this was my church home. He passed away since. But I still like my family. They're everything to me. And I hope that sometime my two children will also go the same route. Thank you for listening. Amen.
In 2 Thessalonians 1, we have a second letter from Paul. That's what it says. Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. There are two things in this short part of this letter that please Paul greatly. The first is that their faith is growing more and more. And this is remarkable because the place in which they live is a place of persecution and trial and testing and hardship. In those times, most Christians sort of fade away or get quiet or step into the background. Not these folks. Their faith is increasing more and more in the face of persecution. And the second thing he mentions specifically is the love they have for one another is growing and growing and growing as well. They're tending to their relationships they are expressing love to one another and they are encouraging one another and that is making a difference in their lives. It's not hard to imagine that when times get tough, many people begin to focus on their own needs, their own family needs, rather than reaching out to others. Most folks simply look to their own immediate needs. But we know, we've heard stories in recent days of people who choose to run towards disasters when they happen rather than running in the opposite direction. Two of my college professors, Carl and Rhonda Windrell, living comfortably in retirement, when they heard news of the start of the war in the Ukraine, immediately flew to Poland to volunteer at the border where the trains of fleeing Ukrainian refugees were landing so they could assist people in finding direction, finding help and making sure kids and their parents stayed together. And these are folks who run toward the crisis and choose to make a difference because of the love of Christ. You may know friends already who have deployed to Florida to help clean up in the aftermath of the hurricane's devastation there. There is something special about those folks who have managed to get a larger picture of life and to find a way to help others in times of difficulty. Traveling to a distant place to help for a certain period of time is a noble and wonderful thing, but it is not more noble than the folks who do this sort of thing all the time right where they live. There are people who week after week in the very towns where they live choose to make a difference in the lives of others. They volunteer in soup kitchens, they coach little league teams, they serve as volunteers in the local hospital, they serve in hospice care. Some of these folks are Christian, some of these folks are not. Some of them volunteer because of their love for Christ. Others serve for various reasons, including a desire to feel good about themselves, to make a difference, to a desire perhaps to defeat loneliness in their own lives. It is a good and wonderful thing to volunteer for the sake of your neighborhood and for the sake of your neighbors. Christians ought to do that. But there's something even more special about those Christian brothers and sisters who take the time to love our children and teens because of their love for Christ. I mean, taking time means developing relationships with them, listening to their opinions, 
investing time to lead the programs that shape them, providing for special needs that might arise from time to time. I can remember watching, not too many years ago right here in MCN, many of you will remember this too, the work that John and Marlene Peterson did while they were here. In a very quiet way, John and Marlene invested in the lives of some particular children who needed extra support. And that support took the form of rides to church, gifts on birthdays, special outings, attendance at those children's important events, shopping trips to provide clothing for special gatherings and performances, and many other very tangible expression. John and Marlene are the kind of folks that Paul boasts about, the kind of folks who make a difference, the kind of folks that help our love for one another to increase, who demonstrate the love of Christ, who, who put love into action. This letter of Paul to Timothy gives us an example of how we are to look toward the next generation, to take an interest, to encourage, to support, to train if needed. When, when things got a little bit crazy in the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says this to his readers. He says, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And in fact, a little earlier in that same letter, Paul tells the Corinthian church that he's sending them Timothy because Timothy now follows the example of Paul and is a trustworthy model of what it means to follow Christ. This is what 1 Corinthians 4, 16 says. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. You know, it takes courage to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We think to ourselves, we can never say that because we're not perfect. And in truth, some of us don't want to be perfect. Some of us like a few of our vices. Some of us excuse some of our vices. And some of us, well, we ought to know by now that Jesus sees through all of that, right? It's his desire that we be built up and encouraged by his spirit and that we reflect his glory so that we appropriate the transforming grace of Jesus Christ so that we can be changed and conformed more and more to the image of Christ. That's what he desires for us. And when we hold on to our vices, we frustrate, we thwart the grace and work of God in our lives. But when we release those things to him, we increase our usefulness to the kingdom and we can contribute to that encouragement cycle that Paul is so anxious to see at work in all of our associations and in all of our relationships. For some, for some of us, we have to think about what it means to live out this testimony of Christ in our lives. What, what does it mean to live as one of the saints of God? How do you, how do you get to that place? How do you become the person that 20 years from now someone wants to talk about you on All Saints Day. Not that we're in it for the ovations, not that we're in it so that someone will speak about us, but we wanna make a difference for Christ, right? How, how do you get to that place? Well, to start with, we have to begin by not making, or to stop making excuses for the reasons we can't be who Christ calls us to be. We've got to let those excuses go. We have to ask for the grace of the Holy Spirit to shape our lives so that we can be persons who can be used for his glory. And then we, in prayer, need to look around us 
for the opportunities to make a difference in the young ones who are around us. For some of us, everyone who is around us is younger. Not a problem to find folks to encourage. But it's not just folks who are younger. We all need that level of encouragement. We all need that level of support. We all need to grow in love for one another. That's part of what makes us saints in the making. How will we make a difference in the lives of those who are around us? You know, I get to see behind the curtain, perhaps more frequently than many of you, into the lives of our families and the, and the incredible things that are done. And I want you to know right up front that some of you are doing an outstanding job of doing this very thing. I get to see the, the generous and kind and compassionate and supportive things you do for each other all the time. And the reason I know is this. It's not because anybody comes to me and says, hey, this is what I did for so-and-so. It's because people come to me and say, can you imagine that somebody did this for me? And they tell me about the blessing that came through you to them with excitement and joy. And I get to participate in that joy that happens when we take the time to encourage, when we take the time to support, when we take the time to mentor and be present and to show up for one another uh, in our various relationships. We always take note of the people who work to serve our children and our teens because we know that those folks are at very formative times and they're there I believe is a special blessing for all those who work to influence and care about and, and pour their lives into our children and our teens. It's perhaps the most valuable work we can do. And I especially this morning want you to hear me say how grateful I am to those of you who work in children's church and teach in Sunday school class and, and take our middle school kids on outings and, and work in our teen department, all those things so critically important. And the danger we have here is that we begin to think as a church, you guys did a great job and forget that it's about how can we help you do a great job Right? Because those, aren't, those ministries aren't the work of the people who volunteer in them. Those ministries are our work together as a congregation. And so we are all in their corner. We are all supporting them. We are all encouraging them every way we can because our job is to make saints. That's our job. Our job is to make saints. And we need to be about that work. The real change in, life, in lives happens in one-on-one -on -one encounters, in actions that reveal loving support and encouragement, in those who work as peacemakers, in those who show up consistently again and again. And if that's where the real work of Christianity happens, these are the questions I have for all of us to consider. So, in whom are you investing? For whom are you making a difference? Who can rely on you? Whose heavy load are you making lighter? I want to be one of the saints who makes a difference. I want to be one of them. I think I heard Aaron say it last. I wanna be one of them. That's who I wanna be. I'd like to invite you to join me in the reading of one verse of a hymn this morning. If you have a hymnal near you, turn to page 779. Hymn 779. And I would like to ask you to read together with me Verse one of the hymn, We Are Called to Be God's People. Hymn 779, verse 
one. Let's read it together. We are called to be God's people, showing by our lives his grace, one in heart and one in spirit, sign of hope for all the race. Let us show how he has changed us and remade us as his own. Let us share our life together as we shall around his throne. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for all those who have nurtured and blessed us in Christ. We are grateful for the examples that you have provided for us. We are so grateful for the saints who have contributed to our lives. And we pray, Lord, that by your grace, you would help us to be like them according to the gifts and graces you have given to us. We pray, Lord, that we will not have spirits that are timid, but we will be filled with joy and power by the Spirit of God, that we will proclaim your truth with our action and our lips, and that you will be glorified in all that we do. For we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So we have an activity to close our service today. Out in the lobby is a large tree on the wall. There's some paper there. There's some tape there. Uh, there are some leaves already cut out there, but if you want to make more, you can. We would invite you to either take the picture that you brought with us, brought with you this morning, add some tape, and put it on the tree. If you need help getting on the ladder, Fran, you're not allowed on the ladder. Ask a friend out there to position those, those faces and those leaves. The leaves are there. You can write the name of a person who contributed to you. But what we want to see at the end of the service is we want a display of all the people who have influenced us for Christ. There should be a lot of leaves on that tree. I'm hoping the tree doesn't look like December and all the leaves have fallen. I want to see a full tree of the folks who have blessed us. And then through every week this month, We'll be able to look at that and we will remember how blessed we are because the lives of those who have faithfully lived out the message of Christ for us. And so we're going to create that at the end. So in a second, I'm going to pronounce the benediction. When I do, head out there and our children are already in the back of the sanctuary. I think they've prepared things to put on the tree themselves and don't knock them over on your rush to get to the tree. Okay. But would you stand to receive the benediction? And we're going to move in that direction. May your lives reflect the glory of God. And may you live lives that invest in others, encourage others, and support one another. So that our love may grow from strength to strength, continually increasing, that the world may know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.